So if you've been with us at Bay Vineyard, you'll know that we follow the church calendar. Uh, and so we're just beginning. It's like Happy New Year, this is us. We're beginning again uh, to engage with uh, the church calendar. Because really, to give time meaning, we have to have a story with that time. Otherwise, nihilism beckons. Nihilism means it's like everything's meaningless. And so, uh, you know, rather than just go, oh, yeah, time's just days and months and years, and all that we have is consumerism and politics. Yay, how depressing. Uh, It's like, no, there's actually, we believe that we're part of this great story. And so the church and its wisdom for 2,000 years has had the, the creativity to mark time by the gospel story of Jesus. Thus, time is made sacred. Hallelujah. We don't just cycle through days and months and years, but actually we're cycling through the story of Jesus. And we believe the Jesus story is the true story that saves the world. And we believe this so deeply that actually this is how we mark time. So if you sign up to follow Jesus, then what we're trying to do is step away from being defined by consumerism and the secular worldview uh, and to step into a whole new story where our entire worldview is marked by Jesus. And so that's a challenge because I don't know about you, but it's like, well, I still kind of look at the calendar the way that everyone else looks at the calendar. But what we're trying to do here at Bay Vineyard is to join the great tradition of the church to mark time in a different way. And so this is now the season of of Advent. And just to be really clear, the season of Advent is different from the season of Christmas. We're going to still play the Christmas tunes, don't worry about that, and sing the carols, but, but even the boys chose beautiful carols this morning, and the girl, uh, beautiful carols this morning, uh, that reflect the season, which is actually a season of longing. It's a season of longing. It's like, oh, come, Lord, come. It's the time where we live in the tension between the first coming of Jesus and his return in glory. Uh, we don't have completion of all of our longings. We live in the now and not yet. Uh, and so this is a season where we look back at the great, uh, the great story uh, of God who has fulfilled his promises by coming into the world, but we also look forward in anticipation of his return. It's a, it's a beautiful season. Frank Ritchie, my good friend, wrote this this week. He said, this, uh, this is not a wispy, flaky lead into Christmas that has little room for the pain many people feel, papering it over with tinsel and fake snow. Advent causes us to step into reality, but we do not step into that realism with a nihilistic vision. Again, there's that word again. Instead, we do so with hope, for where there is faith in the goodness of God, there is hope. And with that hope, as St. Paul encouraged, we, eagerly, uh, we wait eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this season, there's going to be four themes that we uh, explore. Uh, and we're going to be exploring how God stepping into the world in Jesus Uh, gives us a a, a peace. We're going to look at that this morning. It gives us hope. It gives us joy. Supremely, it gives us love. But when we talk about these things, um, do you want to go to the next slide, Ramon? It's not a Hallmark card. Like Christmas and Advent and all that is not just some, you know, we've sanitized Christmas. Everyone's like, why is there a big hunk of poop on the left there? It's It's because the story of Advent is that Jesus is is born into our messy reality. And so when we talk about hope and peace and joy and love, it's not stepping into like lives that are all squeaky clean. I know many of you guys, you're a mess. Thank God, thank God that he's comfortable being born into mess. 
there was poop in the manger because animals lived there. So we've got to desanitize Christmas and get back to the reality that this is a celebration that the God of love is happy to be born into mess and that he brings us hope and his joy and his love and his peace into our messy reality. So what does that look like? So I want to look at this morning three ways that Jesus' incarnation, that Emmanuel, the God with us, uh, how this brings real tangible peace into our lives. I'm I'm not a Christian, not a pastor because of theory or theology, as much as I love all that. I'm into this because of the tangible difference he has made. So here's three ways that his peace has tangibly made a difference in my life and and in your life. So the first thing is this, that because Jesus has come into the world, we can have peace with God. Hallelujah. The forgiveness of sins. Uh, The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Because of Jesus' birth, death and resurrection, we can have peace with God. Hallelujah. And and, and friends, may we never lose the wonder of that. I know that for some people you've been Christians for 60 years or whatever. And it's like, This is just once more a pastor banging on about the fact that you can have peace with God because he has forgiven all of your sins. But may we never lose the wonder, the wonder of his mercy. May we always be grateful that we can have peace with God. And so if you've been a Christian 60 minutes, celebrate it. If you've been a Christian six minutes, celebrate it. Hallelujah. You can have peace with God. You know, I think sometimes we can forget what it feels like to carry the weight of sin. Like to carry it, like to just to have that just in your life. And like, where do you take that? Well, the only thing you can do is bury it, anesthetize it, numb it, distract yourself from the reality of the choices that you've made that have hurt others and that have dehumanized your life. But hallelujah, we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our moment of need. This is why we take communion every single Sunday. It's the gospel enacted. And so the great news this morning and let's celebrate it, is that you can have peace with God. The scandal of His grace, you can have peace with God. It's scandalous. It's the heart of Christianity. You know, I, was, uh, I, was, I got invited by Dan Groves to, to, uh, to give a mini message at the Christmas in the Park next uh, Saturday, but I'm away for, um, for a family early Christmas with my, with my family. And, uh, but, you know, I was thinking about what would I say to however many thousand people are there. Uh, and here's, So you're going to hear it, Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'd say if I could get to stand up from thousands of people that, that, that I'd, I'd, say, I'd say two things. Firstly, I'd say God loves stepping into mess. I'd do my little Hallmark thing, you know, and hopefully I could show a big hunk of poo on the big screen. That'd be awesome. Uh, but, but secondly, here's what I'd say. I'd say, as a pastor, what rips my undies is the fact that people think you've got to be good to go to church. It's insanity. We've done a terrible job at, at sharing the scandalous good news of the grace of God. That it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've, any of that, He can cleanse you and make you whole again. 
that's what I'd love to say to everyone, is that you can know that. You just gotta come to, to him. And so we've got to get in the, continue to get in the habit of saying, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a good prayer to pray on the daily if you can. Not because I want to feel stink about myself, but it's because I want to step into to a cleansing power that can make me feel light and whole and filled with, with uh, his sense of the divine presence embracing me. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. You can have, because he's come into the world, we can have peace with God. And some of us need to know that afresh this morning. You've had a bad week. You've been a bad Christian. There's no such thing as a bad Christian. We're all human. You know what? A, a bad Christian doesn't run to Jesus. Good Christian. I think I've made a mess of their lives. And run to the one who can make them clean. Let your sin propel you towards God, not away from him. If you've had a rubbish week, you've done all sorts of things you're ashamed of, you've done you've ate too many cream buns, ate way too much meat, whatever it may be, <laughs> let your sin propel you towards God, not away from him. Bono said this, I love it. In his book, Bono and Bono, he says, at the center of all religions is this idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. And yet... Along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions. <laughs> I love this, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my fin- to be finally be my judge. doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. It's not our good works that get us through the gates of heaven. That's a good line. That's a man who knows the gospel right there. And so we can have peace with God, hallelujah. Just like enjoy that this morning. Advent reminds us we can have peace. We just don't have to carry that weight anymore. Oh, isn't that good news? Like, it's hard to believe. Genuinely, if you're doing this, like, I don't know, it's hard for me to genuinely get my head and heart around that this is, could be true. So I've got to keep coming back to the table so I don't forget. This is at the heart of what this whole thing's about. We can have peace with God. Hallelujah. Secondly, uh, because Jesus has come, we can have a peaceable lifestyle. We can actually learn uh, to walk into peace that we can learn from Jesus what it looks like for our lives to be changed. We can have peace with God and a hope for the future, hallelujah. But here's the thing, he wants to bring that peace into your life every single day. And one of the things that we talk a lot about here at Bay Vineyard is that we're not just people that believe in God, we wanna be people that follow him. We don't wanna just be Christians, we wanna be disciples of Jesus, our rabbi. We wanna apprentice under him and learn what it looks like to live the life that he longs for us to live. And so uh, this, is like, this is tricky for people, but I'm like, we're going to keep banging this drum, and if this annoys you, you probably find another church, because <laughs> it's like, we're, I've got my vision series all lined up for next year, I'm all frothed up, ready to go, because we're deeply committed to being disciples and to making disciples of Jesus. And here's what happens, if you're committed to being a disciple of Jesus, that will mean that your lifestyle, the way you live, will change every single year a little bit. 
And there's a danger that we can be one-year-old Christians that have been in church for 20 years, whose lifestyle just hasn't changed that much. But Jesus wants to totally change how you live so that you have a more peaceable lifestyle, that your life is filled with a lot more peace because it looks a lot more like Jesus' lifestyle. Now, (laughs) I'm aware of the season we're in. I'm not here to dish out conviction burgers this morning. I'm a hypocrite in transition here. Like, oh my gosh, this is the most stressed I've been in this particular season for years. Years. Every upper click. I'm I'm like, how you doing, Harvey? And I'm like, I've got too much going on. I'm waking up. You know that moment when you wake up and it's like, it's okay for about 10 seconds? And then you you remember everything? So it's me. I'm like, "Ah!" Ah! I'm just freaking out about all the stuff on my plate that I've got to do. So I'm like, oh no, Lord, please, not the peace sermon. Like we divvied it all up. And I can't preach with any integrity on a peaceable lifestyle right now because I'm, ah! Right now I'm just like full noise freaking out about everything. Now, a lot of it's outside of my control. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, we're literally going to have leadership team meetings. About, like, how can we just try and sort this out for next year? All sorts of kind of perf- like mini perfect storms have collided to make this massive, insane storm. And I, but here's the thing it's like I've preached about Sabbath and I've preached about all these things so much. Uh, and I've said things like hurry is like violence to the soul. And like I'm doubling down on that this morning. <laughs> Not because of anything other than the experience of being rushed to this, this term. It's been mental. And I just feel this, this violence, like this, what it's doing to me. And I'm, I'm aware that this is not how Jesus set me up to live. Corrie Tim Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And that's uh, because sin and business have the same effect, right? They cut us off from our connection to God, other people, and sometimes even to our own soul. Uh, So again, I'm a hypocrite in transition here, friends. I'm not (laughs) not preaching. I'm just just repentant as I even say this. Let's let's, let's, let's make it sting even more. Let's read from John Mark Comer. That'll be fun. Um, I love this. He said this in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, I, and the more I'm into, think about that book, I'm like, the word ruthless keeps king hitting me. I'm like, you've got to get ruthless about eliminating hurry from your life. But yeah, I love this insight. He says this, ultimately nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. That's the world we swim in, is just wanting to cultivate that lie. Uh, and so somehow we need to uh, look to Jesus to, to, to help shape us so that his priorities become our priorities and that his lifestyle becomes our lifestyle. And while I felt really convicted about uh, the pace of this term, and as I, you know, as I say, a lot of it's out of, I think it's out of my control, whatever. I'm just a victim. But... Um, I was at school camp this week with my son Judah, and it was a really, it was a really horrible time for an introvert, to be honest. Um, but it was lovely to be there for Judah, um, uh, and it was cool because I got to hang out with a whole bunch of the other mums and dads that were camp parents as well, and such good people, eh? Like just love the yarns and whatnot. 
But it's interesting because it's like, it's just me living in a non-Christian environment effectively for the week, which is unusual for me because I'm a pastor. Occupational hazards as I surround myself with my Christians all the time. And it was just interesting, like yarning away throughout the camp of like, oh, you know, it just really struck me again. I was like, like just the kind of subtext under so many conversations is like, here's what winning at life looks like. And, and it was kind of funny because I was just like, I'm not even, I'm not playing that game anymore. I gave that up ages ago. I'm not even playing on the same field. You know, I'm like, there's a whole other set of priorities for me where it's like, I'm pleased for you and your holiday home and your, you know, and your hobbies and all these sorts of, you know, I, I love that, you know, I've got no problem. I'll celebrate, genuinely, I'll celebrate. It's like, this is great. Wow, you do that. It's so cool. I genuinely stoked for them. But I was like, man, you know, I found something way deeper. <laughs> And there's a whole set of priorities in my life. It, it just made me realize I was grateful to God because I was like, man, I've got like a real failure in terms of busyness and all the rest of it. But I was like, oh man, no, actually, I have learned to be content. Like a long way to go still, but I've learned to be content. I'm deeply content. I think practicing gratitude on the regular, which is again a habit, has really, it's actually, it struck me as, oh wow, this has really made a difference. Terms of, I'm actually really content with my life and my car and my holidays and my house. And all that, it's just like I've been abundantly blessed. So like, I didn't feel, I didn't get stuck in that trap because all these guys are way ahead of me and all the things. I didn't get stuck in that comparison thing of like, oh, I wish I had that, because I don't. What I wish, I, what I long for more and more is a soul filled with more love, joy, and peace. Like, that's what I'm after, and it's found in Jesus. You know, what, I, what I'm after is to build his church, his bride. What I'm after is to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I'm after. So the stuff, you know, the privilege of being able to do the stuff in the Aotearoa with these other churches and all the different things we do through our Manawa Order Trust and all throughout the week, there's stacks of stuff. I'm like, that's what I want to give my life to. I want to pour my life out. Like, that's the priority of my life. And it's like, ha, huh, maybe I'm not the worst Christian ever, especially when you're a pastor. <laughs> Double layers. So, uh, so I'm like, so as we go into next year, I want to challenge you already, like be wrestling and thinking about how you can double down on your discipleship to Jesus. What does it look like to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life so that you live a lifestyle of peace in a stressed and anxious world that's running and chasing their tail and is so deeply dissatisfied? What does it look like to double, like this is the time to think about next year in terms of the decisions that you make that prioritize the way of Jesus. When we start the vision series, I'm going to give the best go team talk I can around all the things. But this is the time to be deeply considering how next year can be shaped by Jesus so that you have a more peaceable lifestyle because we follow the Prince of Peace, hallelujah. And secondly, so you've got that whole lifestyle thing, the second thing that, that, that Jesus does is help us have peace relationally, a more peaceable lifestyle. Uh, the Bible says that uh, in, in Romans 12, verse 18, it says, if it is possible, and I love this, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, uh, uh, live at peace with everyone. Now, it may not be possible, but we, we are the community of forgiveness. The, the, the beauty of church is that it's super annoying, and people will bug you and annoy you. And you will have to forgive people if you hang around here long enough. We're great for the first month or two. You know, we're great. It's awesome. And then someone's going to really hurt you and bug you. And rather than leaving church and saying, church hurt me, see it as the invitation to grow into a person of love because that's what it's designed to do. So that we learn. <laughs> Uncertain claps are the best day. Eh? Oh, that guy's clapping, and I do agree with him, kind of, so whatever. Anyway. Uh, 
And so we practice forgiveness and we practice 1 Corinthians 13 love and we learn to live a life of love and we learn to forgive and we learn to be reconciled to one another and, and, and it's a good feeling because as far as, as far as my side of the table is concerned, I want to do everything I can to live at peace with people, everything I can. And so he invites us to be a place of great peace. And then the last, uh, I'm going to skip some stuff here, Ramon. Um, the last thing that, that, that I want to suggest, so this is, again, very practical. There's a peace with God that's experienced. It's not theory, right? He's come, and because he has come, I can have peace with God. Hallelujah. Second thing is that he will teach me a lifestyle that leads to peace in terms of just the weekly rhythms, the daily rhythms, all those things, and with other people. Very practical. And the third thing is that it gives, what's, what have I actually called it, Ramon? By knowing the big story, I can actually have a peace of mind. I can, I can know. Uh, this, takes, this takes us back to the church calendar again. There is a peace that comes when you know the big story that you are a part of because it puts into context your inevitable sufferings in life. You are going to go through sufferings and disappointment and losses but when you understand the big story that you're a part of, that God is redeeming and renewing and restoring all things, hallelujah, it brings a peace. And when you, when you lean in to the author of that story, when you, when you discover the nature of God and, and suffering and losses and grief will do that, it will cause you to mind deeper to, to, to really get to the heart of who you believe God is. And as you discover that he is a good heavenly father who is love, the Bible says God is love. We, we sometimes get confused between the attributes of God and the essence of God. So God is just and God is holy and God is righteous and all the rest of it. But all of that flows, those attributes flow from his essence, which is love. So his justice feels like love. His judgment will feel like love. It all flows. Everything God calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. And so as we go through the inevitable disappointments and losses and sufferings, when we know that we're part of a big story where God is redeeming and restoring all things, and when we know that God is love and that He's with us even through all of that stuff, it brings a great peace to our minds because the alternative is that we try and control our lives. And so that just generates enormous anxiety and fear and stress because there's so much you cannot control. And so you can make peace with that when you understand you're part of this great big story and that he's good. Helps you chill out a whole lot. Uh, Isaiah uh, speaks of, of the coming of God and Jesus and he says, you know, the, the, he announces that the Lord will send a redeemer, the promised Messiah, to usher in a new day. And we've read that beautiful scripture as we started our service and lit the candle. For, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is, gov, is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Interesting, I mean, thinking a little bit this week about this whole language of the government being on his shoulder. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus, there, there was something that went on the shoulders of Jesus. It was a cross. Like, this, this whole thing is actually his throne. Like, he comes, and it's like, rather than forcibly 
trying to take control and bring power over people, he comes and submits himself to the worst of humanity and forgives. But then absorbs all that sin, defeats it, cleanses us through that, and then defeats the power of death. Hallelujah. Like he, there is a government that's on his shoulders, so I can rest uh, on that. And because of that, I can know that God is, is at work for good. Paul explores this deeply in Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. A lot of theology in there. We don't have time to unpack it all. But here's the thing. This is not a, a, a silly affirmation that God has willed all things. You've really got to get that clear in your head and heart. Like, there is a difference between what God does and what life does. We live in a fallen, broken world. God hasn't willed all things, but he works in all things. Hallelujah. And what does he work? And here's the invitation. And again, this is why it brings enormous peace. It's like, that actually, it says very clearly in Scripture that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. So what, is, what, is, what does God want to do? What's the good? It's not some shallow, culturally defined good of comfort and ease and blessing. But, defi- but Paul defines good in the events that God is at work seeking to transform his people a little bit more into the image of Jesus. So this is why the Bible's clear that suffering is actually one of the accelerants of our sanctification. If we let God in, it will either trans- it will actually It'll either disfigure you it will, or it will transform you into the image of the sun. Suffering will do that. It'll either disfigure, it'll, it'll cause bitterness and unforgiveness uh, and de- dehumanize you. Or in moments of suffering and disappointment with God and with life and all that stuff, if we still allow him in, and the way we do that is normally by ranting and raving at him and by just throwing it all at him. He seems comfortable. The Psalms are pretty clear about, you know, throwing all of our honesty at him. He's very comfortable with that. The thing, he, it breaks his heart when we walk away from him. And so I can have peace because even through the most rubbish stuff, he's at work to make me a bit more like Jesus. But, but ultimately, uh, I have this peace because I believe, and this is why we have Advent, uh, is that this, part, this big story is such that uh, we celebrate his first coming and we pray, give us patience, but we ache and long for you to return in glory. And if he came once, he's going to come again. Hallelujah. We believe this is a season where we stir up faith to believe in the promises of God, that he will return in glory and that he'll wipe away all the tears. And uh, the Bible says that our life is like a breath. <sighs> and uh, as I get older, I'm starting to realize that. <laughs> is anyone else freaking out that Christmas is like, we're in December? I mean, I don't know about you. I feel like I blinked in. It was like, oh, here we are again. Okay, cool. And so therefore the Bible says that all the, the toughest stuff we go through in the light of the great story that we're a part of is light and momentary. Paul wrote that a man who suffered deeply, that our light and momentary troubles are preparing for us a glory that surpasses all your wildest dreams. Uh, C.S. Lewis, it was interesting because, you know, Grace, uh, I mean, this is a season for us, obviously, of grief on one level as well because Grace English just, was it two weeks ago? Passed away suddenly after church. Again, just a great reminder of our own mortality, how fragile life can be. And... Uh, 
in that moment, you know, obviously really deep reflection for us all, but as we're preparing her funeral, I was drawn to reflect uh, on some stuff from C.S. Lewis, um, a man acquainted with grief, interesting man who obviously moved from a deep atheism to an incredible faith. And in his Narnia series, and I mentioned this at Grace's funeral, um, uh, there's this great hope that that C.S. Lewis has captured that again just brings peace to all the stuff he went through that he describes in the final paragraphs of the last book of the Narnia series, The Last Battle. And the children in this moment are concerned that, um, as had happened in earlier occasions, Aslan was going to send them back to continue their lives in, in the world which we know rather than remain in his world. And Aslan reassures them at the end of that book. He says, no fear of that, said Aslan. Have you guessed? He says this, their hearts leapt and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your mother and father and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dread has ended. This is the morning. And then it says this, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their advances, adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and which every chapter is better than the one before. I just, I think it's so beautiful. Can we, we to get in our, our minds and hearts an imagination of the story that we're a part of, that puts in context what we go through here. It brings legitimate peace to our minds. What an amazing vision of an infinitely creative God creating infinite, wonderful adventures for all eternity. I mean, that's just incredible. What an incredible hope we have. And Jesus bangs on about this constantly. Matthew 6, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who seek after these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We can rest in him. Jesus, Jesus challenges us to lay down the anxiety and that desire to control things. There's lots of things that just simply aren't in our control. But to rest in the knowledge that he's a good father that he sees what we need, he cares for us, and he's with us even when we go through the tricky stuff. As Julian of Norwich said, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Hallelujah. Ah, that's peace. That's peace when you can say that. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And so this morning as we come into land, I want to invite us to receive uh, the peace of God afresh in our hearts and lives this morning. That we would, uh, well, those three things. Firstly, that, that you'd let the grace of God meet you wherever you're at. Um, secondly, that you'd hear the invitation of Jesus to come to him. And then say, come to me in stress, come to me in rest. And so, Lord, help us, right, to learn a lifestyle that cultivates the peace that you long for us to live in, that would become more truly human. And that we would let go, thirdly, let go of that desire to control is absolutely exhausting. That we'd trust in the story that we're a part of and that we'd trust in the one who is a heavenly father that we can trust. 
great author of all of the story. And so I just believe that, that God wants to impart a fresh peace to us all in the midst of the crazy, that there be a tangible experience of his peace, and that we'll celebrate that this morning because he has come into the world, Prince of Peace.